Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of the One Shot Movement podcast where we dive deep into the stories of entrepreneurs, business people, anyone that's out there making it happen. Today we have a very special guest, he's known as Jim Penman who is an incredible entrepreneur that's, he's an Australian icon in regards to business, he's the founder and CEO of Jim's Group, which is over 4,000 franchisees. Uh, if you live in Australia, you would know of his brand, the lawn mowing rounds, the Jim's antennas, the Jim's cleaning, the Jim's dog washing, you name it. He's across so many different industries with his franchise group. So we're going to be talking to him about all things business. So sit back and enjoy this week's episode with Jim Penman. Okay, everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the One Shop Movement podcast, where we dive deep into the stories of entrepreneurs, business people, anyone that's out there making it happen. And today we have Jim Jim Penman on the show, who is an iconic business figure in Australia. He's the founder and CEO of one of Australia's biggest, if not the biggest, business success stories, Jim's Group. Uh, Started franchising in 1989 and expanded into a number of different sectors over 50 in 1996. Uh, He's got business internationally in four countries. Um, He's got businesses and franchise opportunities ranging from mowing lawns, cleaning houses to installing antennas. And uh, yeah, he's an incredible, iconic business leader in Australia that's done amazing well. So welcome to the show, Jim. Yeah, good to be here. Great. And look, I always like to invite the guests to share their stories. So if you can just spend a bit of um, few minutes sharing your story, your background of what you've been doing prior to business, in business, it'll be great for the audience to hear. Well, how I got into it a little bit backwards, I actually had no intention in my younger life of being in business or anything of that nature or making money or anything. I wanted to be an academic. I went to university. I started in 1971, um, started in sociology, switched to history, I wanted to understand the rise and fall of civilizations of all things. I, I was fascinated by it since I was quite young. You know, why did the Roman Empire fall? And why was ancient Athens so glorious and then, and then disintegrated so badly? And I started researching and I did a, a honours degree and then I did a PhD. And I, and I started off with, with history and then I started to see comparisons in cross-cultural anthropology and I looked at, started looking at biology. And I came to the conclusion that pretty well all the way we think about civilization is completely wrong, that it's all about character and that character has biological roots. And so I got to the end of my PhD and I was completely unemployable. I, I, I did a history course. You're supposed to become an expert in, in one field of history to have any chance of being an academic. Not only was I not an expert in any field, I was interested in all of human history but also well beyond history as well. And it was absolutely out of the question. And also the kinds of research that I needed to do was not in, in history at all. It was in biology and biochemistry and those kinds of genetics, those kinds of areas where I had no training and I had no money. So what I decided then was to, I had to become rich somehow. And, and likely as that sounded as, as an impoverished student with no assets and nothing to his name. So I, I turned to the only thing I actually knew, which was my part-time student job, which was mowing lawns. And I started full-time in 1982. And, and 
not necessarily thinking that was going to be the thing, but just I had to make a living. I was married. I had to pay my rent. I had some loans I had to pay back. And, and I just started mowing lawns. And, and what happened then was very surprising to me as well as everybody else, because I just, I just kept on fiddling with the business, kept on trying to make it better switched to from from lawn mowing contractors to try and build up and sell lawn mowing rounds and then in 1988 um vip came to melbourne and that was a franchise mowing system that was they basically terrified me they they they, they had international they had 250 franchisees i had just a few subbies and stuff and no uniforms no nothing and i just thought these guys would swallow me alive so I actually, I actually approached them and said to them, you know, would you, I'd like, I'd just like to be an adjunct to VIP. I'll help you to boot up VIP in Victoria by, by passing on my clients to you at a, at a good rate. And they said, no. So I thought, well, I, I better try and compete. So I, I went to the franchise show that year, 1998. And I, I went to the stand and just said, how does this thing work? And they told me, and uh, then the state manager came in and said, that's Jim Penman. Don't tell them anything else. They keep me off the stand. So I thought, okay, all right, I'm going to do this in competition and uh, see if I can just survive this, this, this onslaught. And somebody asked me at the beginning, you know, how, how many franchises I might have um, if it really worked well. And I said, look, if it really works well someday, I could have as many as 100. Well, I'll tell you what, we've got 120 in training this week. So it's uh. been rather more successful than I thought. Yeah, and and when you say um, just uh, what is your total count of franchisees at the moment? Uh, Four thousand three hundred and something. Wow. Um, yeah, look, very uh, I guess uh, great story, and you know you um, just back was against the wall, and you really just said, "Hey, I either get swallowed up or I go and make it happen." And um, yeah, thirty odd years later, you've um, certainly made it happen. So back then, franchising was probably it was getting into many sectors, um, fitness industry, uh, there was ice cream stores, I think, that were franchised, like Wendy's. Um, yeah, was it a popular business model back in 1989? Well, it was kind of obvious in a way. Pe people said to me, um, why don't you franchise? But it wasn't so much the idea of franchising. I, I read Behind the Arches about McDonald's, which is an inspirational book, and, and McDonald's is a great company as a franchisor. So, um, what, I, what I couldn't see at the time was what would be the benefit to the franchisees. I, I couldn't sell something I didn't believe in. So I, I just couldn't see it. I could see I could get you going in business, which I, like I used to do building up and selling lawn mowing rounds, but I couldn't see why a person would stay after they had their business. And it's only, I suppose, VIP gave me some ideas about that, you know, how you could, like, like things like helping, you know, it's only breaks their leg in the mowing business. By the time they recovered, their business is gone. So you can look after each other and those kinds of things and being part of a buying group and stuff. So they showed me some reasons. And so I thought I have a try of it and surprisingly successful. I mean, we've got franchisees who haven't taken work for years and are still with us quite happily. It, it, it's part of the community system, the mutual help, the support, the, 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 the buying group, the, the just the sense of, of relationship as much as anything else that seems to be. And, and, and obviously the, the opportunity to grow to build bigger businesses, which we can help with, to become a franchisor, to start a new division. There's all kinds of things people can do.
Mm. Yeah, and as I mentioned to you before we jumped on the show, I did spend 12 years in the in the franchise industry myself. Both I had five franchises, multi-franchise owner, but was a master franchise for the company as well. Um, and, and the thing that did appeal to me was build, you know, being a part of a system and a brand. And Do you think that's the main strength of being involved in a franchise as opposed to going out to yourself? Look, there's a very simple statistic, and you can look this up online. Have a look at the survival rate of independent businesses like gardening and cleaning businesses. Best figures are that between 90 and 95% will fail in their first year. For example, there's something called the American, there's a American Cleaning and Janitorial Service Association. If you look at their website, it suggests that 95% of cleaning businesses disappear in their first year. So that's the normal statistic. Now, our latest figure is 12%. So if 100 people start as franchises in gyms in a year, um, 88% of them will still be, 88 of them will still be in business. And that includes people, and the 12 includes people who've actually gone independent, which sometimes happens with us, or just get offered a great job. So what, what you can say is the chance of being successful in a franchise is many times more, at least in our experience, many times more than if you went out as an independent. Mm, absolutely. And um, do you have, I guess, opportunities to to buy master licenses or multi-site uh, or anything like that? Well, we don't have sites. So the equivalent we have in gyms would be somebody who had multiple workers and employees and so forth. But that's actually particularly good. I mean, we've got franchises turning over in the millions of dollars a year. But the great thing about that is their actual fees are the same. As, as the one-man band. So you only pay a base fee plus a fee per lead provided. So they might be making $2 million a year and their fees would be maybe $700 a month. Mm. So it's, 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 it's less than, it's, it's a rounding error. And one thing that I certainly found in the industry, and I think in general, if you know the most successful people in business and life um, can attract the right type of person with them, and also build networks in general, and being a part of a franchise network was, you know, just collaborating ideas and masterminding in a way. But I found. Uh, if I looked at it as recruiting franchisees, you know, that type of person that wants more than just a job would really, like, take full advantage of that. Do you think that um, the recruiting side is pretty important to the success of a franchise? Yeah, it is. In actual fact, our, we have a, a pretty tough selection process. I'm, I'm, I'm giving franchise all training this week, actually, and, and the first hour and a half of my talk is all about selection, why it's so important to select and how you select. So we... We emphasize that very strongly. Um, I have to say that in general, um, the way I would say it is that you probably got of, of franchisees, we'd, we'd have some we refer to in the beginning as gold or silver franchisees. These are the people who probably would succeed in business for themselves. But with us, they can do a lot better. They can form a bigger business, but they'd probably be successful. You have, a, you have a majority, which we call bronze, people who probably wouldn't succeed in business for themselves, but we can help to be successful because we provide them with leads, with training, with mentoring, with advice, with meetings, with all kinds of things to help them and, and overcome their mistakes and get them started. And then you've got some people we call leads who just cannot be helped to be successful. And usually people who just won't listen, they just they'll do things their own way, regardless of whether it works or not. Mm. So, but we can, we can probably help Fairly, people with reasonably average sort of skills to run successful businesses with the right 
training support as long as they'll listen and, and follow the system. It, mm. it doesn't require, you don't require extraordinary ability to be a successful mowing contractor or a cleaning contractor or a dog watch contractor. You just require, you know, a basic sense of, of decency, caring about what you're doing, doing it properly, being willing to listen, being willing to, to, to learn from other people, those kinds of things. Mm. And and in regards to yourself and journey, like, you know, I, I always say to people that, you know, your business will grow to where you grow as a, an individual and, you know, surround yourself with the right type of people. And, you know, I've learned so much in investing and property investing and all sorts of things off people outside of, you know, I guess I call them my world-class team. Um, you said that you were extremely passionate about history and learning history and culture and so on like that your business acumen where did you get that from and did you have mentors and advisory board around you i I tended to learn a lot from my franchisees and from my franchisors um i've got franchisors like haydar hussein who runs cleaning and and sharon connell runs dog watch who are absolutely extraordinary individuals far better at what they do than i am and what i do um I think a large part of my success is probably just the ability to listen. Every one of my franchisees has my mobile number and which they're strictly told not to share with anybody else outside gyms and also my email address. And I'm very easy to contact. So they'll contact me anytime, multiple times a day, just queries, questions, objections, whatever, requests to have complaints deleted, that kind of thing. So I think I learn a lot from other people. And I'm always open to that. Uh, to me, one of the, the most overlooked virtues in business is humility, the willingness to recognise that somebody knows something that you don't. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely, 100% agree. And in regards to your journey with the gyms group, you sort of started off lawn mowing and then diversified into dog cleaning and antennas and all. What was the, the uh, I guess, the big idea around that? You sort of like nailed down one and you got to saturation point or was it, um, yeah, Love to hear. This is going to disappoint you, Craig. It wasn't my particular brilliance that did this. What happened was we had this mowing thing going, which looked okay. And then we thought, well, why don't we try it for cleaning? And because that's obviously a big industry. So I thought, well, okay, but this guy with the, this, this logo here with the guy with the beard and the hat, which is me, by the way, of course. That's what I used to look <laughs> like. Um, his, his, that's, that's a gardening image. And people wouldn't want to clean it with a gardening image. What if they're a woman? Who'd want a woman with a beard and a hat logo? So, so I thought, okay, well, let's call it sun, Sunlight, S-U-N-L-I-T, and little sprays and things. They made a logo out, sold a couple of franchises, couldn't find them work, eventually said to them, here's your money back, can't, can't work. And then somebody came to me and said, well, what about Jim's cleaning? And I said, well, no, it won't work because it's a mowing gardening image. It's obviously done like the cleaning. And I said, we think it'll work. And I said, no, it won't. So they said, we're prepared to give it a try ourselves. And I said, well, if you really want to, you can have a go. I just don't want you to buy your money. So they said, well, it's our money. So they did. And it works. And suddenly this peculiar gardening mowing image actually worked for something that wasn't mowing. So that was a real wide opener. See, they, they, they remember describing to me, they go to an agent or something, and they say, oh, we're from Jim's Cleaning. So like, oh, oh, you mean Jim's Cleaning? Like, like the, oh, yeah, okay, all right, give you go. So it, 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 it spread. And that was a surprise to me. Yeah. And Absolutely. a lot of things too, you know, if somebody came to me and said, one of my earliest franchisees who later became a franchisor said, I want to start Jim's fencing. And I said, no, nah, that won't work. That, that's, not, that's a terrible idea. So he, so he said, look, I'll do it. And I said, all right, well, you can do it. And we do have a sort of a, you know, divisional arrangement. We, we, we split some profits. 
and did it and it worked brilliantly. And, you know, fencing is about 60% unserviced. The trouble, we just can't grow the franchise numbers fast enough to cope with the work. So it's not so, it's not so much that I have any great skills, Craig. I just listen to people who are a lot smarter than I am a lot of the time. Mm, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I guess uh, once you've got that brand recognition and, you know, you can add strings to the bow and leverage the platform that you've already got, I think, you know, these opportunities can really work well for you. It does, it does work remarkably well. We were looking at um, – we did a survey many years ago in Adelaide about glass companies and they actually went to the public and, we, and there was a couple of um, – there was a couple of local glass companies. Then there was O'Brien's, which is, as you know, by far the biggest in, in Australia. And then there was Jim's Glass. And it wasn't surprising that, that O'Brien's actually had better name recognition and, and customer interest than the local ones. But what was really surprising is that Jim's Glass did actually far better than O'Brien's, which was really remarkable when you think Jim's Glass didn't even exist. Mm. So even the logo was more powerful than the biggest company in the field. That really blew my mind, that one. Mm, absolutely. And do franchisees um, that work for you say, let's say they've done well with their mowing business and you do o- offer then gyms cleaning that they would often go across into other ones as well? Uh, there'd, there'd normally be no point because right. if you're in mowing, you've got all the work that you want. If you, could have, you can have mowing, you could have 10 people working for you. You, you can, right. There's no limit to the size of the business. Work is about one... Last year, about one in three of our leads were on service. So if you want to take on workers and build a major business, there's absolutely no reason why you should pay more than the base fee because there's so much. Where where people can go across divisions, for example, one of our very successful mowing franchisors actually bought bought a cleaning region, cleaning rights. But that's because he's a franchisor, so he can run both. That's actually fairly common. So he's now got best part of 100 franchisees, I think, um, and growing fast. He's, He's a exceptional exceptionally capable guy great system Mm, absolutely and just in regards to history i'm quite fascinated in that uh, myself so i'm quite interested i'm I'm sure you've uh, had plenty of time last year in lockdown to see how history is repeating itself Um, like uh, in, in the global financial crisis for me was my the first time where I said I've lost control you know of my business and if I didn't follow my intuition and move out of that 10 months last year of lockdown owning multiple fitness clubs would have been a bankrupt moment for me but I said hey you know banks stop lending money to sell franchises my fit out renovations were now funded by me you know everything sort of changed in a global economic crisis and last year was and and moving into this year is not too dissimilar but um yeah you were last year was brilliant for us we had our best year ever apart from the two month victorian lockdown it was amazing because the biggest problem we have is, is franchisees we do everything possible to try and attract them and keep them but the work rises fast in the numbers so when the economy was shut down and we have plenty of work people actually bought a lot of franchises and we, we had tremendous growth. Um, we grew you know, 10% in just a few months, which was, which was very exciting and very, very profitable time. So, and we're still growing very fast too, even after COVID. So uh, it's, yeah, as far as history is concerned, I don't know that my history, knowledge of history has much to do with knowledge of the business. The only big difference is that I've actually got all my, all my contracts inflation proofed. So, for, for example, if, if um, we normally raise prices, uh, fees once a year, 
well, it's actually in the contract that we can raise them monthly if, if, if the inflation figure is, is 1% in that month. And that's because I, I know from my historical studies that it's extremely unlikely that the, uh, the currency will become devalued sometime in the future, even though that seems different from recent experiences. I, I believe we will move back into hyperinflation because governments are just spending too much and borrowing too much. And it'll be a vicious cycle too, because once the... Um, once, once the, once the, um, they, they, once they spend too much and start, inflation starts to build up, which is already happening. You can see the signs of it all over. Then eventually, interest rates are going to rise. Now, if interest rates rise, that's going to have a crushing effect on people who borrow far too much based on extremely low interest rates. And by the way, which is something I would never do. I would never, ever, ever. If interest rates trebled overnight, I'd be fine. Mm. I think I think borrowing too much based on low interest is very unwise. That's probably the one area in business that I'm. My, my studies have, uh, I'm actually, I'm actually running a quite a substantial research institute. We'll probably spend about $2 million a year on, on things like epigenetic changes to character and so forth using the advanced laboratory and stuff, but I can afford to do that now. Mm. So in the future, that's a great business, but uh, at the moment it's just a, it's, it's an interest, it's a passion more than a money-making venture. Right. And what, what would you say your biggest challenge and adversity has been in your business journey? Or it could be, it could be personal as well. I've been divorced three times. That didn't help. <laughs> Not because I'm a philanderer, because my wife's ex-wives couldn't stand me, really. So <laughs> my current wife, we're happily married for 20 years, but she says you, she, she, she says she appreciates basically if I understand I have um, I have mild Asperger's. You, you, I don't know if you've ever seen the Big Bang Theory. She thinks I'm I'm like Sheldon Cooper, the the, the sort of the autistic main lead in that one. <laughs> right, uh, fascinating. And what about uh, passion outside of um, of uh, yeah, passion outside of uh, your work and your profession and your career? Well, my re- my research is is my major passion, really. I mean, apart from my family, I've got ten children that I'm pretty attached to. My youngest is only eleven. Um, so family is a big thing with me, but, but the research project is very, very big. Um, it's, it's incredibly exciting to see what can be done. The, the changes that have taken place in, in recent years and, and the development of vaccines for COVID is a perfect example. A lot of the people understand the use of RNA, for example. Now, RNA can do all kinds of things. I mean, they had, they had, they had RNA vaccines already worked out within weeks of, of, of working out the, um, the structure of DNA, the genetic structure of, of, uh, of, the, of the virus. Um, and the potential for that is extraordinary. I actually think that the biggest, biggest possibility, potential of the next couple of decades is going to be in, in biotechnology. Once we understand the nature of gen- genes and how to change them, and I think particularly the ability to, to, to the epigenetic changes, turn them on or off, I think the opportunities will be extraordinary. I, I believe that, that everything about achievement is to do with there's a little bit of genes in it, but it mainly character, and character is largely epigenetic. So if you could actually figure out how to turn on or off the appropriate genes, which is well within current technology, you could actually give somebody a treatment that had turned somebody who was a hopeless, depressed drug addict into a happy, family-loving entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I believe epigenetics is, is the key to everything, and that's going to be massive. 
Mm, interesting. And at the end of every episode, I always have a, a handful of questions, uh, call it the rapid fire question section, but it's not necessarily rapid fire. It's just the same questions I ask every guest. So what would you say the best book is that you've read that would help someone, you know, get ahead in life? Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Steve Covey, Stephen Covey, absolutely, because it's all about character and, and it's about ethics. It's a great guide to business success. That's the number one book everybody should read. Mm. What about the best bit of advice you've ever received along your journey? I don't know. It's from myself, actually. Just always look to, to, to improve what you do every day. Every day you look at what you do and say, how can I be better? How can I do it better? Never be satisfied. Never be good enough. And I don't know where that comes from. Maybe I learned it from somebody else, but that is the key lesson in life. Hmm. What about the worst bit of advice? So it might not be advice, but it's just something that people say that you just totally disagree with. Well, I think the pursuit of money for its own sake is a, is a pretty horrible idea. It's unethical, but it's also people who tend to look for the money first tend to do not nearly as well as somebody who cares about what they do. Even whether it comes to technology, for example, or it comes to motor cars, there's a, there's a wonderful book called The Reckoning written back in the 80s about why the Japanese overcame the Americans. And it's because the Japanese were building cars and the Americans are building financial structures in their, in their motor vehicles. So I'd say people who put money first, you should put what you're doing first, which is your product or your service, or in our case, your franchisees, that should be number one. And that should be your passion and your drive. And the money, pay attention to it, but it comes after. Mm, absolutely. Great advice. And what about if you're a business and you're striving to become, you know, the best in your industry or so, like a real high-level market leader, someone that's not just, you know, complacent running their business, is there something that people should do? Really, it's a combination of what I've just said. You, 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 you focus passionately on your people. Bear in mind, I had no idea when I started franchising it would be so successful. I really had an idea. But I had one vision, one idea, and that's that I'm going to make my franchisees into fans. I'm going to do whatever is necessary to make them successful. That was my absolute. And I made stupid mistakes. I only charged about half the fees I needed to. I had no idea. I never set out a business plan. I just had that one driving passion and that is to me that's characteristic of people who are successful i'm reading a book um, about jo uh, jeff bezos amazon um i've read one finished reading about um, netflix which is wonderful actually no rules rules about the netflix culture and stuff and, and all these great companies they they have a passion they they these founders they have a passion they have a drive for achieving something and money is always secondary mm. Yeah, absolutely. And what about this podcast is around uh, making the most of their one shot at life because, you know, you're only here for a period of time. So why not go out there and you know, make the most of that one shot? What would you say to inspire somebody to do that? <laughs> this might sound strange coming from an entrepreneur, but I'm saying that there's a lot of things that matter besides things like family. Look, I know somebody who's a, a brother or a close friend of mine who was a multi, multi, far more rich than I am, actually. He committed suicide because his family life was so messed up. Or people who get rich and have children who are, who are wastrels, who become drug addicts and stuff. It's very common, actually. I don't think making money for its own sake is a much of a purpose in life. You should have a purpose to your life besides money as such. 
there should be something that, that drives you. Now, that might mean that you don't make any money at all. You live in poverty. That's fine. But that purpose is more important. Now, if you have a drive, as I do, for my research project, then money is necessary for that. But you never put the cart before the horse. And I, I almost say the same thing over and again, aren't I? But, you know, and, and things like, like, I'm a great believer in, 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 in reaching for happiness. And, and there's a lot to happiness. And happiness is not just about money. In fact, money has not a lot to do with it. Um, happiness has to do with things like health, like fitness, like the right kind of diet, like good family relations and so forth, like having a purpose, having living a life that has purpose and meaning behind it. Um, also having control of your own life and having a flexible lifestyle, those things matter. But actual fact, levels of income are surprisingly little, little related. And I think too, even if you are spending money, the way you spend money matters too. And there's been research on this. For example, the worst way to spend money is on status goods, like the more expensive house or car. Mm. Better is on experiences. But you know, the number one thing they've found that you can do with money that make, gives the greatest happiness, give it away to a cause that you're involved in and you believe in give your money and give your time. And that is what makes people happy. So I'd say, if you've got a one shot in life, don't throw it away by just chasing money for its own sake. Look yeah. for what's really gonna create value to the world and what's gonna give you a, a satisfying and happy life. Absolutely. That's uh, my jumper is joy and happiness right now. <laughs> um, what about where do people find you? If they wanna be a franchisee or yeah, how do people find you? www.gyms.net. You can just look there. Anybody wants my email address, it's jim at gyms.net. I'm very easy to reach. So you can just email me direct if you wish to, and I'll put you on. But but gyms.net. Actually, if you go to gyms.net and you look at this, there's a section called Meet Jim, you'll see far more about me than you ever wanted to know in your whole life, including all the biohistory stuff too, which is my research project. Right. And from me, I want to thank you for taking the time for jumping on our One Shot Movement podcast uh, as, uh, you know, want to congratulate you for your success and also for your future research project and, and the excitement through there. But uh, you've been an incredible guest to have on the show. Thanks, Craig. Good to talk to you. Wow, what an incredible episode with Jim Penman. You can see he's super passionate about business and just helping people, and that's sort of come across quite strongly um, when you've got 4,000 or over 4,000 franchisees in your network. You know, you've got to lead with your heart and be that person to really care and be um, passionate about what you do, and he's been doing that for over 30 years now, so well done, Jim. If you like this episode, make sure that you share this with with your audience you uh, give us feedback reviews that's important to be able to get great and inspiring guests like jim on the show if you haven't got a copy of my book you've got one shot head across to my website and grab your copy there it's just simply at my name craigschultz.com also, while you're there, book in a chance to chat to me about becoming a market leader in your niche, somebody that's dominate, someone that stands out in the crowd. That's what I do. I help people become that market leader because I've done that over five times in the last uh, 20 years across many different industries. So at the end of every episode, I always say you've got one shot at life. Go out there and give it your best shot, whatever that is for you. My name's Craig Schultz. I'm the host of the One Shot Movement podcast podcast.